Okay, we are discipling, continuing to disciple, and tonight we're talking primarily about um, how to do that through encouraging careful Bible study. Bible study and discipling. Imagine that. They do go together. In fact, we're going to talk about two things that help people encourage, uh, encourage people to love and appreciate the Word of God. One of them is Bible study. The other is dun -da -da -dun. this one's going to bless you. Bible memorization. When you're teaching uh, precept classes, do you require any memorization in those classes? No. You don't? Do you challenge them to do that? Sometimes in the study it challenges them too. Right. Uh, yeah. This class in here tonight, now there may be an exception, but most of you are going to discount this one completely because you're going to say, I can't do that anymore. Right? Isn't that it? John 11.35. John 11.35, <laughs> Jesus wept? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's your verse that you have committed to memory? Well, you know, you got to start somewhere. That's right. That's right. So that's good. Yes, sir? He's encouraging me to be a smart aleck. I'm reporting him. Uh, Steve, could you buzz the office and see if we could get somebody? What's the What's the person you said that comes down the hall and gets the troublemakers? And oh, takes the guy it? with the gun. Yeah, the guy with the gun, yeah. yeah can, do you, can you get him tonight? Absolutely. Okay. I'm sorry. Get Officer Alexander right over here. I don't know what's going to happen next week because Kyle is teaching next week in my absence. And Kyle is an excellent teacher. He's a better teacher than I am. So, But you're going to have to keep him on program. You're going to have to keep him on. So, Bob, you're going to have to wear your mask next week. <laughs> wear your mask. Sit on the back row with Phil. He's keeping me straight for all of us. <laughs> all right. Encouraging careful Bible study. Two ways that we're going to look at this through Bible study and Bible memorization gives us a, a love and an appreciation for the Scripture, for the Word of God. Why are we talking about spiritual disciplines when we're talking about discipling? Well, they do go together, right? Disciple, discipline. Uh, our ability to disciple resides in the Word of God. That's, that's our source. Nothing else really matters other than the Scripture when it comes to discipling other people. So if we're going to equip them, you know, you can sit down and share your own opinions or your own thoughts or experiences or testimony even, and those things are fine as a supplement, but you want to point them to the Word of God. That's what you want to make clear. Um, it's the root of our discipling and not our advice or counsel that is important. So let's think for just a minute about the centrality of the discipline of the Word, why that... Uh, is like it is. The, the Word's work, first of all, is all for God's glory. What, the, what God does through His Word exalts Him. You know, it doesn't exalt us, it exalts Him. The focus of all of our encouragement, our prayer, our teaching, our counseling must be on the Bible if we're to make true disciples of Christ. That makes sense, right? And all we know for certain about Christ, we know from the Word of God. Also, discipling is not about good counseling, as we said. 
There are lots of good counselors out there that are not discipling anybody because their subject matter is more psychological or it's focused on uh, experience rather than on the Word of God. So our goal is not to be the source of counsel. Our, God, our, God, uh, our goal as disciples is to counsel them from the Word of God, you know, to show them how to get counsel from the Word of God, not get counsel from us. Sometimes we get together, and in lieu of real discipleship, we just share our experiences and talk about, you know, well, this is what I would do or what I think to do. Our job, if we're going to truly disciple someone, is to take them to the Word of God, let the Word of God do the counseling for them and for us. Remember, we started out with this image. I'm going to show my art prowess again. What did we say we are? We're a conduit. We're a piece of pipe. We're a hose through which God sends, you know, His Word, His His Spirit working through us in order to overflow and touch someone else's life. That's what it means to, to disciple. So, you know, if your if your conduit is clogged up with mud and gunk from the world, which a lot of us have to deal with that, don't we? We get out, we. We encounter a lot of things in the world, especially in this busy world, that will clog up the free flow of the Spirit and the Word of God. We, we want to make sure we keep that clean, that we're walking in fellowship with Him, and that we're allowing God to work through us, send His Word, His Spirit, into the lives of other people. It's not us personally that's going to make the difference. It's not the piece of conduit that's going to make the difference. It's what's going through it, right? Okay. Right. So you don't need to be a professional counselor to direct people to God's counsel. Give me give me an illustration of that. Can you? Would you? Kyle, you put me on the spot last week. I put you on the spot this week. Sure. Give me a case study. In the Acts of the Apostles, when Philip is Philip comes across the Ethiopian eunuch, and uh, and they start talking. No preparation, no special study, no special knowledge or skills were needed. Just willingness to talk. Okay. All right. So there's an illustration out of Scripture. Now tell me how you could counsel somebody from the Scripture. What, what's something that you could, you know, where's a text? Where's a verse? Don't go to Jesus wept. <laughs> 65,000 donkeys. <laughs> numbers now. John 8.58. John 8.58, 8, which where, says what? Uh, where Jesus tells the Pharisees, I am, and he uses the, the, the divine name and, and claims to be divine, and then they pick up stones to throw him. So we can directly use that to help somebody see. Jesus is crazy. We say that because he says it. Okay, we hear this a lot, that people will say, Jesus never claimed to be divine. He never claimed to be God. And what you're saying is the Word of God would counsel against that because this is what it says. So all you have to do is show them, read this, right? So the Word of God has the opportunity to speak into their lives. 
it's okay for us to tell them, well, you know, the Word of God says here, Jesus did claim that. And then here, you read it. Here's the verse. Now you read it to me and tell me what you heard it say. I think two of the most powerful passages in, in uh, John, are, of course, is meeting with Nicodemus uh, in John 3 and then with the woman of Samaria in John 4. Uh, and those are two great evangelistic passages, which you must be born again, and then I am the living water. Right. I think when he declares that he's the living water, he is declaring himself to be divine. Okay. I agree. Someone came up to me Sunday after church and said, Pastor, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. And they said, I have a situation. A cousin of mine um, is dabbling in a lot of things, but has re most recently been dabbling in Hinduism and yoga and some of those kind of things. So can you tell me how to win them to Christ, how to share the gospel and bring them to Christ? I said, sure. So you want to take a guess what I told them? Yeah, like, right, okay, sure, great question. Like we were there, right? No, I mean, it's not really that hard, but our, ten our tendency would be, well, let me tell you, you know, you here's the boom, boom, boom. And I did that, okay, okay, here's, here's a presentation. This is how I would share the gospel with somebody, a simple presentation. I've preached in India hundreds of times to people, and this is the message we preached that was designed primarily for the Hindu mind, okay? And, and it's really not that difficult. You know, it's, it's three steps, and you can, you can do that. But if it were me, it's your cousin. They say they already see the difference in you versus their life, okay? They already know something's different. So what should you do? What would be the most effective way to maybe navigate all this stuff? Our tendency is to what? We want to sit down and go, I'm going to tell you why Hinduism is going to take you straight to hell. Right? I'm going to tell you why yoga is of the devil. You know, or we want to get into a discussion and an argument about, you know, Hinduism versus Christianity. And, and then we come in and say, can you give me some books on this? Is that really going to work? It's kind of us trying to think through how do we persuade and convince and get them to do this. Okay? But we need to think differently. We need to think that the Word of God is sufficient to do His own bidding and counseling. So what I told her is I said, look, there's a three-step process where you can share the gospel. It's simple. I, I, can, you know, I can walk you through that, and you can do this in your sleep. Okay, it's not hard. But I think the best approach for you would be to ask your cousin if he would read the Gospel of John with you. Read a chapter a week, and then you have your Zoom call or your phone call that you're already having, and say, write down any questions you have, and let's just talk about it. What did you, what did you hear God say? What case did God make? Okay? They're going to read about Nicodemus. They're going to read about the woman at the well. They're going to read about Jesus Christ. They're going to read about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Anybody that can read the Gospel of John and not believe Jesus is the Son of God, you know, hasn't really read it, have they? But when they do, I mean, the Gospel of John is powerful. 
If somebody doesn't know, somebody who's dealing with millions of gods in their universe, you know, in their worldview, all these gods, and what better way to unravel all that and say, let me introduce you to the king of kings and the one true God. But don't take it my word from it. Let God, I'm going to let God make his own case. So let's read a couple of chapters this week, and then I'll call you next week, and if you've got any questions, we'll talk about it. And don't be afraid to say, you know, I don't know the answer to that question, but, you know, I'll try to find out, and can we talk about that next week? And they said, it's not really difficult when you put it that way, is it? And I said, and look, if, if you, have, you get asked a couple questions you can't answer, I said, tell them, say, look, can I get back to you on that? Because I'm not sure. I don't want to tell you wrong, and I want to do some reading and checking first. And I said, then come to my office, and I'll tell you what the answer is. And then you can go back, and you can be smart and tell them, say, you know, that was a good question. Here's the answer. <laughs> or I'll send them to Steve or Kyle, and they'll give you the answer. You know, but this it's not difficult. You just have to be willing to get get in the game and be the conduit. Right? But the word of God will do its own counsel. And that's the case that, that we're making in this in this lesson. God's word creates, God's word sustains, God's word secures his people. I mean we read it all through his word. Um you want to read some verses if I sign them? Or do you not to read them being done? You can do them. You love to read them? Good. Bob, Ezekiel 37. Oh, it's a lot of verses. 1 through 14. Can you do that? Kathy, if you'll take Genesis 1, 1 and 2. Steve, you want to take one? Romans 4, 17. I'll get to you, Steve. Got too many Steves. I do as well. <laughs> Uh, Kyle, take Psalm 119, 9 through 16. 119, 9 through 16, and 25 and 28. It's on your handout. Anybody back there want to read one? Igor, Vera? Don't have to. If you don't want to. You want to? One. One. Let's see. Psalm 119, verse 152. It's not often you get assigned verse 152. Anybody else? Yuri, you want one? Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. All right, I'm going to go ahead and sign some others here. Brian, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. Okay, we've already read those. Phil, Matthew 4 and verse 4. Steve, Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Kelly, would you like one? 2 Timothy 3, 16. Okay. All right. We focus on God's Word because it is instrumental in the creation, sustenance, and security of God's people. Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. Bob. Okay. Uh, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out, of, out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. 
caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, that you may, that you may come alive, and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and behold a rattling, and bones came together, bone to his bone. And I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may come to life. So I prophesied as, I, as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people, I will put my spirit within you, and you will come to life, and I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters okay Steve you have Romans 4 17 all right when you read it when you read it hold it because I'm going to use it again okay as it is written I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist okay God's word creates. God's word gives life. Okay? God's word creates life out of nothing. It's living. It's animated. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Psalm 119, 9 through 16. 25 and 28. How can a young person maintain a pure life? By guarding it according to your instructions. All my heart I seek you. Do not allow me to stray from your commands. In my heart I store up your word so I might not sin against you. You deserve praise, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I proclaim all the regulations you have revealed. I rejoice in the lifestyle prescribed by your rules. 
as if they were riches of all kinds. I will meditate on your precepts and focus on your behavior. I find delight in your statutes. I do not forget your instructions. I collapse in the dirt. Revive me with your word. And 28. I collapse from grief. Sustain me by your word. Okay. Steve 4.17 again. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. God's word creates, gives life. God's word sustains. God's word continues to support and sustain what he has created, right? God's word also secures. Revel, uh, Psalm 119, 152. Okay, Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe deep in blood, and the name by which he is called the true word of God. And the armies of heaven, great and kind of freedom, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, which is to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So God's word creates, God's word sustains, God's word secures. God's word is central to all that we do, especially in the context of discipling. If we're going to disciple someone, it's got to come out of the word of God, and it will do, the word of God will do the work. Our job is to bring them together, Right? The person with the word. Uh, most of you already recognize this, and so um, these efforts or conversations may be a little bit redundant for you, but it's good to be reminded of how important the Scripture is. Statistics, it's not only important for us, but it's important for all Christians. Statistics tell us that importance on the Word of God, understanding these things about the Word of God, isn't, isn't very clear in the world but even in Christian life, in evangelical life, it's not very clear. These statistics might be a little bit dated, but they're still pretty close. 11% of Americans read the Bible daily. 11% of Americans. Now, contrast that with what? Less. Yeah, it's probably less. And this is probably, like I said, these are a little bit dated maybe. But, but now contrast that with if you, if you keep up with surveys and polls, you'll find that between 65 and 75 percent of Americans claim to be Christian. So there's a disconnect there, right? You know, if this is, if this is the Word of God, if it really is the Word of God, then it's a disconnect. It should be important to those that say they're followers of Christ, shouldn't it? Eighteen percent of born-again Christians read the Bible every day. I think that's probably high too, don't you think? 
23% of born-again Christians say they never read the Word of God. Never. Never. There's a real disconnect. There's a real, yeah, I mean, that, that is, you're exactly right. There's a, there's a huge problem there. So what do you think God thinks about such statistics as that? Not that he, he knows exactly what they are, doesn't he? But what do you think he thinks about that kind of disparity in carrying a label that says, I love God, I follow Christ, and not really acting as such? Not impressed. Probably not. Uh, these statistics reveal an apathy, don't they? they? They reveal an apathy or an indifference toward the things of God, especially the Word of God. And it's important for us to compare them with what God says about His Word. <clears throat> God says differently about His Word. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What's he describing? He says, these things, this law, this, this word of God, God's instructions, okay? We don't like the word law, so we'll talk about God's instructions. He says, these things you are to bind them on what? Your forehead, you know, these Pharisees wore these phylacteries where they little leather boxes here strapped to their heads and they would put scripture in them. Okay? Don't know that it was getting in here, but they, they were wearing it here. Right? I am spiritual. See, I've got my phylactery on. Um, so he says, bind them, but he's painting a picture that's different from just binding them for show. He's talking about actually using them in the course of life. As you lie down, as you go to bed at night, you're talking about these with whom? With your family, with your kids, with your wife, your spouse. As you rise up, as you eat, as, as you go through life, this is an ongoing process. We should be talking about these things. Why? Because the Word of God is central to those who follow God. And so it needs to be conversational all the time means we've got to be in it to know it and then to talk about it which leads us to living it who had psalm 119 9 through 16 was that you we already read that one so i'm not gonna make you read it again so god's word should be applied all over our lives but god's word also makes our ways pure you were talking about you know purifying the life through the word of god the word of god makes a life pure God's Word strengthens us in difficult times. When you're going through a difficult time. How, often, how many times maybe you've done this with someone that you know that's going through a difficult time and maybe you just ran across a verse and you thought that was just applicable to the situation and you maybe shared it with them. Put it in a card or, or you just whispered it to them and, and said, you know, I, this is a great verse for you to read. And then maybe they responded to you at some point and said, boy, that hit me where I was at, you know? So, the Word of God strengthens us in difficult times. It gives us courage. It gives us encouragement. It brings comfort to bear. 
We live by God's word. Who had Matthew 4 4? Phil? But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Who said that? Under what, what's the context? Temptation. Temptation. Isn't it interesting that the Son of God, God's Son, who's in flesh, He's here. Satan is tempting him in the wilderness after he's fasted all this time. And how did he enter into this dialogue with the enemy? He, he quoted scripture to strengthen himself and to wage the war. He trusted the word of God to be sufficient in that circumstance. When he could have used any other means, couldn't he? There are lots of things he could have done. I mean... Peter and John would have warned him to call down lightning and thunder, right? Fire and lightning and stuff and zap them. Jesus responded with the word of God. Uh, Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Is that you, Steve? Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Hmm. So you get the picture there. You don't need a lot, a lot of a, uh, clarification for that, do you? I mean, he's talking about it being foundational, providing a solid foundation for us. We can build our lives and, and stack our lives on things that that are shifting sands that you know erode the first time bad weather or bad circumstances come along it just crumbles underneath them but the word of god doesn't do that he says the word of god is stable it's solid like this building this building is one of the most solid buildings in this area there's no doubt in my mind you know if someone was coming with a daisy cutter bomb to drop on us you know where i'd go i'd go in that closet down here under the stairs I don't believe a daisy cutter can get there. <laughs> Probably could. But it's a solid, yeah, it's a solid building. And it gives us a picture of the Word of God. The Word of God gives us that kind of stability and solid foundation that we stand on. When we go there, God, God tells us this, so He's also, He's also committed to make it so. Right? We're struggling with something. God says, I've told you this is, this is where your foundation is. Come and stand here. Come and rest here. And nothing's going to happen. You know, It's not going to shift on you. It's not going to erode on you. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Yeah, scripture is very practical in the most important aspects of Christian life reproof correction you know inspiration all of these things that we need day by day in the conditions the, the circumstances of life the word of god probably god promises the word of god is there for us to do that i'll read one for you from hebrews 4 verse 12 for the word of god is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul of spirit of joints and of marrow discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. How, how sharp and penetrating is that? You think about the thoughts and the desires 
inside. Nobody else can get there. If you don't want them there, they can't get there, right? Walling that off, the rest of you can sit on the outside and just ponder about what's going on inside, right? But the Word of God says, like knife through a hot butter, like a hot knife through butter, I get there. I can divide soul from spirit. That's what the Word of God says. So it's stable, it's life giving, it's sharp enough to penetrate wherever it needs to go. God clearly thinks that the Word is beneficial to us. So, do we have any valid excuses to stay out of it? <laughs> do we have valid excuses to be among those 23, 24, 25% who never read it? We don't, do we? We, we should be in it. We've been reminded that it's important to our growth as Christians. It's also important to us as disciples to pass this along to others. And I said basically there are two ways to encourage a love for God's Word. Studying the Bible and memorizing the Bible. And just hold that thought on the memorization. We'll get to that in a minute. Let's talk about studying the Bible. Practically speaking, it's easy for us to find other things to do than to read the Bible, isn't it? Have you done that? I mean, I know I have. You know, I'm going to commit myself this year. I'm going to read through the Bible. And you know, long about the end of January, you get to Leviticus and suddenly... Numbers. <laughs> numbers. And you lose, you know, all of a sudden you look, you go, I'm 12 days behind. Huh. I I'm not going to get caught up. And you just give it up, right? Or... You say, you know, I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to spend quiet time. I'm going to read the Bible. And, you know, you oversleep. You get up. You're racing to get there on time. You have an accident. You get a ticket. You know, the day's off. And you say, you know, I'm never making that commitment again. That didn't work out for me. Or something else interferes. The phone rings. Or, you know... It dings with a text message, and two hours later, you know, when you finally lay it down again, now you don't have time to read it now. Or I'm going to do it this evening. And you start reading, and you, you know, you're like me watching television at night. I turn it on, and I never even, I don't even remember if I heard the theme song come on. You know, you wake up two hours, three hours later, and you go, did I watch that, or did I not? You know, don't remember which episode it was. Just move on, right? So, we, we um, find other things to do and other people that you may be going to disciple are going to run into the same kind of thing. So this is a common problem. And it, it requires forming some habits, you know, having disciplines to form those habits over an extended period of time to where it becomes just natural. It becomes what you do. We need to encourage each other to read the Bible regularly. Once we do that, we can learn to start meditating on Scripture. Now, what does it mean to meditate on Scripture? That sounds like a question for Kyle. Hmm, I wonder what that means. <laughs> Are you meditating on, on what on the question? Only while he does yoga. This is what Don Whitney said about meditation. Meditation on scripture is letting the Bible brew in the brain. Hmm, I like that. That's good. Mm -hmm. Thus we might say that as the tea colors the water, meditation likewise colors our thinking. 
When we meditate on Scripture, it colors our thinking about God, about God's ways and His world and about ourselves. Similarly, as the tea bag flavors the water, so through meditation we consistently taste or experience the reality taught in the text. So you can't meditate on it if you just read it once and put it down, can you? Meditating on it is reading it, thinking on it, wondering about reflecting on what the meaning is there, what's he said, what did he say to the people that he wrote that to, and now what does that mean for us in today's world, right? What does it mean for me now? And pondering on those things prayerfully. <coughs> prayerfully thinking about those things so that God changes us, colors us, flavors us according to his word. doesn't have to be. Right. Part, of, part of meditating could very well be discussing with another brother or sister. <clears throat> right. You know, so what we're doing tonight could, the, in theory, be meditation on Scripture. We've read some Scripture together. We're thinking about what some of those things mean, some of what God intends His Word to be in us. And so you're hearing different thoughts, maybe. You walk out of here and you go, and if you just... Finish tonight and leave and don't give it another thought. You haven't meditated, have you? But if you leave here and reflect and ponder on you, maybe you've made some notes or things like that, and you go back to those notes, say tomorrow in your quiet time, and think on these things some more, and then some more, and maybe start chasing some of these things in the Scripture yourselves and say, what does God say about this, you know? Then all of a sudden you're meditating on Scripture, aren't you? You're, you're letting, you're, you're tasting and savoring, chewing on these things. You know, we, we use that word in Psalm, Selah, chew the cud. Got any cattle farmers in here? No? Came from cattle farmers. Yeah, chewing the cud. I mean, you know what that. I mean, a cow chews grass, pulls up grass and chews it and swallows it and yes. brings it back up, chews it some more, swallows it, brings it back up, chews it some more, continues to work it over. So, you know, that's a that's a rather ugly picture in our minds. But when you think about the scripture, pulling it out, meditating on that, mulling over that contemplating that, asking questions about that, maybe putting it down, walking away, coming back, bringing it back up again, and doing this, continuing to chew the cud, to chew it over and over and over. And it begins to color who we are. It begins to like the tea in the water, steeping, steeped by the water, or in the water. I guarantee you we do, right? Yep. Yep. You know, a lot of times I, uh, I read the Bible every day. Now, there's been a day that I've missed it, but I go back and catch up. So, <clears throat> but a lot of times you read through the assigned verses, you know, if you're following a reading plan. And at the end of the reading plan, you basically 
haven't really meditated or anything. There's a world of difference. What I'm trying to say is there's a world of difference between Bible reading and Bible study. That's right. And, you know, today in our men's Bible study, uh, we, my plan was uh, to get from verse 1 Corinthians 7, 8 through 740. In other words, finish chapter 7. Well, we didn't come close because we, we got into discussion about uh, certain things. And, but that was Bible study and meditation all bound up together. I think it was beneficial, mm -hmm. though we didn't meet, meet the assigned plan. Right. Uh, so, I don't know what I just said, but I, what I'm trying to say is that this, the idea of meditation, I read some, sometimes I'm reading, and I can sense that God is trying to get my attention about mm -hmm. something. And I think a lot of times that that's really important that we pause in what we're doing and start listening instead of reading you know you know, I mean, you know. yeah yeah that's fair I, I do think there's obviously a place for both yeah. you can't meditate on what you haven't read that's true and and um, you know but reading while reading vast portions is good you the more you read the more you are meditating on it you know, the more times you read through the Bible, even though you get to the end of it and you say, you get to the end of Leviticus and you say, I don't know what I read. Okay? But you read it. And the next time you read it, there's going to be some, a few things that will drop through. You know what I'm saying? And the more times you do that. Um, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. Another thing that <clears throat> when I was on the um, scholarship team, uh, we interviewed a, a young lady she was using a reading plan that's 10 chapters a day. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know how you can, first of all, I can't read 10 chapters a day. And I just had you read a chapter, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, you did. Was Bob reading a spiritual one? Go ahead, Bob. I, I don't know. I'm listening. When you, when you have that much to read, you know, it's, it's yeah. difficult to comprehend what all is being said. Because that reading plan, you read the book of Acts 12 times during the course of a year. Yeah. And that was one of the motivational things for us to study Acts earlier. If you're going to read something 12 times during the year, it must be pretty important. Right. And, of course, it is. Um, but people like, um, let's see, I, I want to say it was Spurgeon who would not preach through a book of the Bible until he read it 50 times. Yeah. You know, uh, John MacArthur will say he does the same thing 30 or 40 times. He reads it before he, he does, he does uh, try to preach through it. Um, the more times you read through it, the more insight you have, the more you understand, the more familiar you become with it, just like anything else. You know, the favorite television show or movie, the more times you see it, the more time, more things you remember and the more it gets ingrained in your brain, right? It was said about C.S. Lewis, he read through the Psalms about once a month. Yeah. Over, over, over. 
Well, yeah, I mean, there's a reading plan where you can read the Psalms, you know, in a month. There's, I mean, it's basically five books of the of the Psalms, so you can read a 30-day, you know, it's 150 chapters. So it's laid out that way where you can read through it every month. Or you can rotate between the Psalms and the Proverbs. 31 chapters in it in Proverbs, so you read Proverbs one month and the Psalms the next and rotate back and forth, so you're doing it multiple times. The more times you do it, though, it does serve as meditation. You know, we think of meditation being more compact, more present, whereas meditation can be over the course of your life. Yeah. You know, that you've meditated upon this, this passage or this book uh, for long. There, there are books, there are, there are passages of Scripture that, you know, have been in my wheelhouse for years. There are others that I'm not anywhere near as familiar with because I avoid them, you know, because they're hard or they're hard to understand or whatever. You know, I can't tell you, I'll make a confession here. I don't know, I don't think I've probably read the Song of Solomon very often. I read it once a week. Do you? <laughs> I bet your, bet your wife is proud. <coughs> well, let's move on. I'm running out of time. Y'all are delaying me now. Um... Sometimes people get too intimidated by the reading, though, Bob. What you're saying is true. Now, it may, this may help you to know. You can read through the Bible in 71 hours out loud. We've got, we've got Bible recordings to prove it. Max McLean or whoever it is can recite the Bible and be recorded and, and do it in 71 hours. Now, that sounds like a lot, but, you know, that's, you know, that's uh, two work weeks. Um, that's, you could do that in a week. I'll tell you what. For me, I got a 25-minute drive home. 25 minutes to the office in the morning. First thing I do in the morning when I leave home, I have a free app on my phone that is, is a gateway, I think. Didn't cost you anything for it. You got all kinds of different translations of the Bible. But, you know, Max McLean serenades me all the way down the Christ road. Jesus. Huh? Christ Jesus. Yes. I like Max. Back off. <laughs> but if if I do that, okay, that's almost an hour. It's almost an hour of wasted time normally in a car when you could be listening to the radio. Could be listening to fish. Nah. You know, you can listen to anything, but that's, but that's an hour, four times a week for me. I mean, I, I probably won't do it on Sunday because I'm trying to think on other things on Sunday. But, but at least Monday through Thursday, I've got an hour, almost an hour of time that I got nothing really that I can do. And I can make this an intentional thing. If I do that, if I do that... I can cover the whole Bible in 18 to 22 weeks. Less than half a year. Four months. So I can go through the Bible three times that way. In a year. The more times you do it, the more of it you're going to remember. Now, I'll be honest with you, the familiar passages are the ones we, we kind of listen more closely to because we get into them, right? But occasionally I hear things and I go, huh. So when I get to the office or I get home, I go pull up my Bible and read it because I go, it sounded different from him reading it than when I read it. But it's helpful. 
And we've got all these, what I'm saying is we've got all these tools available to us to maximize opportunities in time. You know, you can do it anywhere, anytime. There's probably other things where you find yourself sitting around waiting. I'm waiting to go into the dentist here. I'm sitting in the, you know, well, you can, you know, you can be, you got your phone with you. You've got an app on there. You can read the Bible while you're doing that. Or read a passage or, and if you're going to have like a, you know, root canal or something, you may want to read to bring some comfort to your soul before you go in. I don't know, but so it can be a discipline issue for us. You know, it's not that I can't do it, it's that I just don't do it. So there's a lot of these good things. There are reading plans that do take you through multiple things or, you know, you can, if you're a, you're a person that wants to be involved in reading the Bible through for a year, let's say, I think that's a good exercise. Maybe you don't need to do it every year. But you could also do a, hey, I'm going to read the Bible through in two years. So I'm going to cut the reading plan in half so I'm not having to cover as much. You know, I think it's what, about an average of four chapters you can read the Bible through in a, in a year. The Bob was making is a good one to keep in mind because I have found myself making the mistake in the past of trying to do those reading plans and I wound up substituting the reading plan for what Bob described as study. Yeah. And, 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 and I wound up going back right doing study and dropping the reading plan. well that's why I'm saying that when it's you're in the, either or, right? when you're in the car sitting in traffic around Atlanta it's a good time to be listening to somebody else read yeah. to you and yeah. then you've got your quiet time where you're not using it just reading through where you're actually doing some study and meditation yeah. on a smaller portion of past the text well, I have an app that is a verbal Bible reading mm-hmm. uh, and I will read my Bible and listen to the person reading it also. So that your reinforcement. Uh, right. That works That's you. right. That's right. And you know, just, in, I think it's an interesting point. I was listening to R.C. Sproul the other day, uh, and he was talking about the state of the evangelical world today, and, and he was brought up an example of when he was, I think he was teaching a group of seminary students. No, they were pastors. They were all pastors. Uh, and he asked them a question. He says, write down the Ten Commandments in order. And it was amazing how few of the, the pastors, all graduate, doctorate-level pastors, couldn't do it. Couldn't even begin to do it. And uh, what a shame, you know. How have we gotten so far away from? And that's that's not even memorization. That's just familiarity with what is being said. You can right. paraphrase the Ten Commandments. You don't have to have it word for word. Yeah, but can you get them in order? Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed. Well, no, I mean, I'm not, don't ask me to do it, because that's too much. I don't, I don't know if I can get all ten of them here tonight, but. I can do it in order, but don't ask me to. Yeah, don't ask I can do it, trust me. I can do it, trust me. <laughs> okay, let me see if I can wrap this thing up quickly here before we run out of time. Um. Uh, so, of course, it's not enough just to read. We do want to spend more time, um.
talking about meditating upon it and the same thing when you're discipling someone it's not just a matter of getting together and reading the scripture but talking about it and and beginning to digest it you know um all right um i showed you don whitney's book spiritual disciplines one of the things that um a little excerpt a little practical method to encourage your friends to get started on meditation uh, and this comes from a chapter in whitney's book select an appropriate passage you know pick a passage from your reading that strikes you this could be of any length but probably on the order of a few verses not some don't pick psalm 119 you know you're going to get you're going to get lost there uh, repeat, reread it several times. Also, read the context surrounding the passage. Find out what's happening before it, what's happening after it. Helps you understand what's the thinking there. What's God saying to the people that that, that was delivered to? Rewrite it in your own words. Writing things down will force you to think more carefully about what the text says. Pray through the text. Read less, meditate more. To your point. Look for and pray for applications. Okay? So, um, there's another book here that is a good uh, supplement. That it's kind of a Bible survey. It's called How to Read the Bible. For All It's Worth. For All It's Worth. This one's How to Read the Bible Book by Book. So, this is kind of a general survey. Which gives you a little bit of a... This is by Gordon Fee. Douglas Stewart. Uh, but it gives you just a brief write-up of each book of the Bible, okay? Just a general brief survey, which is helpful. If you read something like this, then when you start reading Leviticus, you already know what Leviticus is generally about. And that helps you understand what's being said as you read a particular text, okay? That's why context is so important. Um, I've got a handout for Bible study Inductive Bible study hints. I'm going to let you pass these around and take one. If you don't want one, it won't hurt my feelings. It's just These are just tools that I have available to me that I'm making available to you if you should want. This is a basic Bible study outline that I've used in the past just for my personal time. It's basically observation, investigation, application. You know, you start out with the... Um, uh, the six, you know, uh, investigative questions, who, what, when, where, why, how. And then you talk about investigation. You look at, okay, what's the context? What are cross-references? Where, where else in the Bible is this topic addressed? Um, you know, look into commentaries and other, other support materials that may be helpful. And then summarize the content. You know, summarize what you've discovered. You know, boil it down into just a short paragraph and then on the back there's some keys to about how to go about doing application you know one of the questions you'll be asking yourself about application and you, you'll find those probably more helpful than anything else now so enough about that Bible memorization very quickly I knew this would be a short discussion <laughs> Bible memorization when you're a kid, it comes really easy. Most of us have verses memorized, and it's because we learned them when we were children, and we still retain them. You know, that's that's uh, that's a shows you how the brain works. Adults have much more 
problems with this. And one is because our brains may not be as nimble as they once were. But secondly, because we've got so many other things floating around in there. And it's hard for us to concentrate on these things uh, as well as we should. But I ran across uh, something sometime back by Andy Davis, who's pastor at First Baptist Church Durham, North Carolina. That's where we were dominating their staff for a while. We had uh, Luke and Alex, Alex and Amanda were all on staff there and interned. But Andy has this little booklet called An Approach to Extended Memorization of Scripture. And uh, I got a copy through Luke, and I decided to test it to see if it worked. And Because uh, I haven't intentionally sat down and tried to memorize a, a portion of Scripture, I'll say. You know, a verse of Scripture for evangelism purposes and, purposes and things like that, or a sermon purpose is one thing. But an extended, when we say extended, I'm talking about a book of the Bible. Memorizing a book of the Bible. Okay? Uh, when I preached through 1 Peter a few months ago, I memorized, I think I got halfway through the fourth chapter before I caught up to myself preaching and I didn't get I didn't get the last chapter, so I didn't get finished with it. Uh, right now I'm memorizing 2 Timothy. I just finished the first chapter of 2 Timothy just this morning. And if I can do it, anybody can when it comes to memorization. I used to have to sit down and, and write it over and over and over to memorize. That's the way I memorized it. Just write it over and over and over. And uh, this, what basically what his plan is, is that if you read it, if you read a verse ten times, if you'll read it ten times, you're pretty close to having it. If you'll read it, kind of meditate on it as you're reading it, think on it, ten times you've about got it. Unless it's a long verse probably, you might have to break it down. And so, in theory, what I found is that I can average four or five verses a week, you know, almost one a day, using his method. And you've got to go back and, you know, review each day. So I'll go back first thing in the morning in my quiet time, and I will try to recite what I've memorized up to this point. And if I do okay with it, then I may just move on to the next verse. If I stumble over some of it, then I'll go back and do some, some rehab, you know, do a little remedial work on that verse and find out, okay, I'm getting tripped up on the phrasing here, so I'll go back and get it. I make video, I mean a, a Xerox copy, I make a copy, photocopy, of uh, the chapter in my Bible, okay? And I may blow it up a little bit so it's a little larger text, and I'll lay it on the console in my vehicle, so when I'm driving back and forth, maybe in the evening I don't want to listen to Scripture, I'll work on my memorization Scripture. As I'm driving. While you're driving? Huh? You're reading while you're driving? No, I'm reciting what I've memorized. But if I get stuck, I've got this piece of paper with it there where I can glance at it. Sorry. And, and I can spur myself onto it. So I can use that time constructively to continue working on the memorization. He's one of those people talking to themselves in the car. Well, everybody does now because we've all got phones in here. So it didn't, I, don't feel, I don't feel weird. Right? Anyway... It's a very good approach, okay, to learning how, if you're interested, you can take one, pass it around. If you're not, you know, please give them back, and I'll find a home for them somewhere else. But um, putting the Word of God in you is important. You're welcome.
Phil, I know he, he'll be good because he's always memorizing. He's learning languages and everything else. You got enough? So I'm not going to get into spending any time on that. I mean, we've, we've, we know the Word of God's important, and this is just another way to drive it deep in our hearts and in our minds. And, you know, one of the things he talks about, Andy, will, Andy preaches through the Bible verse by verse, just like I try to do, and he will not start preaching through a book until he has memorized that book, which is pretty daunting. Think about preaching through Isaiah. Yeah. And he has done that. So that means he's committed to memory. Sixty, And he will he will keep it up. He says once you memorize it, then you can maintenance and keep it up for a little while. My wife's been memorizing Hebrews, I think, that uh, y'all are studying. And she asked me, she said, so uh, what do you have to do to maintain it? And I said, you'll not keep it unless you recite it virtually every day. I mean, at some point in time, your brain just won't retain it. Uh, those four chapters of Peter I've memorized, I said I didn't keep it all. Uh, I probably could get it back up quickly if I went back to it, but you have to keep saying it, you know, in order to retain it. It's not like a verse you learned as a kid, you know, when you learn John 3.16, and you just automatically know it every time. So it takes work, but it's, very, it's so gratifying, you know, and it, it really does make the Word of God mean more, I think, to you as you do that. And you know, don't think you're going to go home and memorize uh, the book of Psalms. Um, you know, no. bite off a small book, you know, uh, Philemon or Obadiah or Nahum or something, you know, that's a one chapter, two chapter kind of book, Jude, and, and work on that. And, you know, when you get done, you'll be gratified that it's an accomplishment, something that you've done. And then you can step up, you know, get a three or four or five chapter book, Titus or something, and memorize it. So now you're talking about the Dillard boys in their mind palace. Oh, my goodness. Who? Yes. The Dillard boys in their mind palace. Richard. In their mind palaces. Yeah. When you talk 